0: Thanks for coming Monday morning. Oh, my. Well, years ago, soon after I got out of college, I read a small uh, little piece of writing in a book that really um, challenged me when I first read it. And, in fact, it grabbed my little brain and really messed with it back then. I'd never forgotten it. And the piece was called $3 Worth of God. And it goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul, or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me want to love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. And I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Now, when I first read those words, you guys, They were such a challenge to me because they confronted me with this whole issue of how much of God do you want in your life, Mark? I mean, I was settled on. I wanted enough of him to get me into heaven for all of eternity. I wanted enough of him to give me some happiness and comfort and success and fulfillment and satisfaction along the way. Um, when my life wasn't going well, I wanted a whole lot more than $3 worth of God. You know how we do this? When it's not going well, we want to supersize them in our life and you know, call them into our circumstances. So that's how I was during those difficult times. So I knew at that point in my walk with Him, I wanted a measure of God in my life. I just wasn't um, certain at that point that I wanted God to take over and lead my life. I didn't know... If I wanted him at the epicenter of my life, where he was calling the shots and wherever he would lead, I would follow. I just wasn't comfortable with that yet. You ever been there? I mean, I think at times throughout our lives, we're all there to one degree or another. And that's where I was at, at that point in my life. And I remember reading this and struggling so bad with it. And I, th- I thought to myself, alright, I want a Savior, I just don't know if I want God to lead my life. And my, my life was kind of uh, looking like this. I'll try to illustrate it for you. This was kind of my life, and here's the epicenter of my life. And in my life I had relationships that were going on that were very meaningful to me. Shortly after I graduated, I, I uh, married my wife, and... Uh, I also became a dad overnight. My wife was married before we met, and her husband was killed in a hunting accident when she was three months pregnant. And so when we met, my oldest daughter is now 22, she just got married last summer, was two years old. So it was a huge decision for me to, you know, not only get married, but become a parent overnight. So I had relationships, uh, my marriage and family that was going on. I had a a career. I was um, a youth pastor at the time. Working with high school, junior high students. And then, you know, I had uh, um, fun or hobbies going on in my life, like most of us do. I had uh, junk going on in my life. You guys with me on that? You know, junk, like just the stuff that uh, causes you to really become who God wants you to be. The stuff that kind of trips you up in your walk with Him. Are you with me? Please tell me I'm not the only one with junk here today. You guys, you got this going on in your life? You do, even if you don't know it, all right? You'll figure that out at some point. Um, And then, you know, I I had uh, just the whole, you know, emotional side of my life that I was trying to to figure out. And then I had God in my life and uh, various other things. But at the epicenter of my life was me. I was running my life. I was calling the shots. I loved God, and I certainly wanted him to be a part of my life, but he wasn't here driving my life, okay? Now, and here's what would happen. This would work pretty good for me over time, but then all of a sudden I'd have a relational challenge with somebody, and I couldn't get it figured out. So you know what I'd do? Oh God, oh God, please help me in that area of my life. Or I would struggle with something at work, and I'd say, oh God, come over there, or something in my marriage with my wife. Or some of this stuff, you know, I'm struggling with it. So I'm, I'm calling him into my life. And that's how I live my life. And, and when the storms would come in, I'd call God into these areas where the storms were at. But then when the storms would pass, I'd just go back to this whole idea of me calling the shots. It's like if my life uh, could be illustrated by a car, I was sitting in the driver's seat with my hand on the wheel and I was driving my life. And God was in the car with me, but he was over on the passenger side. And every now and then, as I'm driving, I'm talking to him about, you know, what do you think about this? What should I do here and all that? But what needed to happen was I needed to pull the car over, get out, go to the passenger side, bump him over into the driver's seat. And I ought to be on the passenger side. You with me on this? That's called lordship, right? Having him as the leader of our lives. But I wasn't doing that. And... And as I said, sometimes it wouldn't work out, the storms would come in, I'd call them in, the storms would pass, and then I'd go back to this kind of deal where I'm driving. Then I had an experience where a storm came into my life and it wouldn't go away. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it, I couldn't get beyond it. And it happened with the church that I started, with a small group of people. About 17 years ago, my wife and I felt a strong leading from God, unmistakable leading to start a church for people who did not go to church. Did you hear me? This is a totally different kind of church. We're not trying to get already convinced people to come. We want the people who are out late on, on Saturday night, doing things, you know, and not even thinking about going to church. That's who we were targeting for and praying that God would reach in this new church. So we had about six families that started this thing. And we started, in the summertime, it grew to about 30 people in a core. And we launched this thing out on uh, September 8th about 17 years ago, and we had no money, no buildings, no equipment, uh, no place to meet, so we we just threw ourselves into this and scraped up as much money as we could, found rented facilities to meet in. Every Sunday morning, a typical weekend service was our crews would show up at 4.30, 5 a.m. with an old U-Haul truck that we had. And we scraped up money to buy, like, speakers and a soundboard and a snake and lights and stages and drums and guitars and keyboards and all that stuff. So we'd we'd show up at 5 a.m., 4.30, set all that stuff up, and then set up baby cribs and everything. And we were using a movie theater at the time. We had church in the theater and classrooms in the other theaters and all that. And then people would come and we'd have the service. And then afterwards we had to like, at breakneck speed, tear it all down, put it back in the U-Haul because they had an afternoon matinee movie that was going to show. So we had to get out of there. And we were working like just dogs doing this week after week after week. Word got out that we were a different kind of church. It kind of grew to about right around 200 after two, two and a half years. And then this storm came into my life. Everybody in this little core got tired. And the wheels started getting wobbly. And people um, who were coming to the church, some of them left the church because they didn't agree with some of my leadership. And at that point in my life, I never, literally, I'd never heard the word leadership. Never heard of the concept. And so the core was kind of wondering if I was, you know, God's man for this thing because people who came were kind of leaving. And we went from 200 people over about a year down to 80 people. It was not a good time. <laughs> and so I started questioning my ability. And I remember one night I was, after dinner, I was sitting at our dining room table. And my wife had fixed a meal for us, ate the, the food, and then all of a sudden the, um, she was cleaning up the table. I was sitting there, and I just started crying. And I'm, I'm not, the, I don't cry a lot. Trust me, I really don't. And so it kind of freaked me out. I didn't, and, and the thing that freaked me out was, I didn't know why I was crying. And then the other thing was, I was trying to man up and suck it up and stop, and I couldn't Stop. It just kept coming, this emotion from deep down inside of me. My wife, she thought I was cracking up or something. And she's like, honey, what's the matter? Why are you crying? I said, I don't, I don't know. Why I'm crying. And she said, well, what's going on? I said, I really don't know. And, and she goes, well, how can I help you? I said, I don't know. I can't even stop. I've been trying to stop. And I can't stop. And what I, you know, kind of later figured out was I was just burned out. Uh, you know, I had all these high expectations of where this was going, And it wasn't going there, and people were leaving, and I was really questioning, it made me insecure about my ability to do it, and it was just a disappointment to me. So I was tired of all the hard work, and I had people in the original core that left. Um, It it was just a a very difficult time in my life. And so for the next month or so, I walked around um, thinking escapism thoughts. I wanted to quit and I, I lost sight of the dream and the passion that i had to start the thing and so i thought about all these things that i could do to quit like sell cars or get into some kind of profession you know that was a, away from ministry because i was i was just hurting in this whole thing and the more i prayed about it and the more i sought some counsel from guys who were smarter than me on the whole deal i remember sitting at my office desk in this little rented office we had one day and i was having a, a prayer time with god and I wanted to quit, and I said to him, God, I'm done, I, don't, I can't do this, it's not working, look at what's going on here. And I remember feeling from the Holy Spirit an impression from him that if I quit, it was going to be disobedience in my life. It was going to be an act of sin if I quit this thing. And so I was like, oh, great, you know? And during that time, when I realized that this was the calling that God had on my life, I remember sitting in that little rented office. It was almost like I had a white flag and I was going to God. All right, I give on this deal. I surrender. And that morning, I made a transition in my life. I took me out of here and I put God at the epicenter of my life. And I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not kidding you about that. I did that. It was a conscious, calculated decision where I said, God, I need you in my life. I mean, look at this, what's going on. I need your power, I need your wisdom, I need your help, and then I remember saying this, and God, I really want you to lead my life. There's a difference in that, you guys. We all know that God ought to be at the center of our life, but do we really want him there? And I was at this place where I was just totally surrendered and I wanted him to lead my life. And so things got a little bit worse before they got better, but I got up every day and I started to, to try to lead the way he called me to and follow his direction in my life and ministry and my home and all this kind of stuff. And slowly over time, the things started turning around and the church started moving from dysfunction to getting healthier and healthier and people started coming and we got to 100 and 200 and 300 and 400 and five, six, and it, it just kept moving like that, and um, people who were far from God, who never went to church, started coming to church, they found Christ, uh, and long story short, I love what I do now, and I'm so thankful that, that I followed God's leadership and did this. One of the highlights of my ministry life was this last summer, we had a baptism service. We had 60-some uh, freshly redeemed, former hell-raising people. Is that all right to say that here? We live in this world of non-church people um, who found Christ, and he just radically changed their lives. And so they're going into the, the baptismal waters with such a sense of, of the grace and the mercy of God in their life. And I brought a picture of one of the guys who went through it. This guy right here. <laughs> guy. Isn't that cool? It's like he just scored a touchdown as he's coming out of the baptismal waters. And I was standing behind him and he was just shouting, you know, thanking God for the redeeming work that he's done in his life. And and what happens, friends, is when you surrender and put God at the center of your life, life works. That's when it starts to work. And if you never do that, your life will never work. I prayed a lot over the past few weeks, um, once I got the invitation to come and talk to you guys, I prayed and I asked God almost uh, three or four times every week in my prayer times, God, what do you want me to say to these guys? And I surrendered it and kept praying to Him about it. And I came up with this whole idea of talking to you about making sure that God is at the center of your life. Look at the screen and I'll show you the verse that I want to uh, kind of burn into your hearts and minds today. Let's read this together, okay? With some gusto. I know it's Monday. I know you're off a break, but read it like you believe it. Okay? You ready? Here we go. For in him. Oh, that was good. No, well, let's do it again. All right. More gusto. Come on, ready. For in him we live and move and have our being. You're almost there one more time, ready. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, just so you get it, turn to the person next to you and say it to them, like you believe it, okay? Go ahead. Do it. All right. Very good, class. You just put a smile on God's face by saying that. Now, think about this, you guys. God is the source of life. Would you agree with that? In the balcony, you agree with that? God is the source of life. He is the giver of life. The originator of life. He dreamed up the whole idea of life. It was his idea. The Bible says that everything was created by him and, dot, 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 for him. And that includes you and me. So, if we don't get this straight, that he is the source of life and in him we live and move and have our being, then do the math, you guys. I mean, you're smart people, right? If you only want $3 worth of God, if you only want $3 of the source of life, if you only want $3 of the one, the only one who is worthy to lead your life, then how is your life going to work if you only want $3 worth of Him? It's not a trick question. How's it going to work? It's not going to work. It will not work. One of the greatest frustrations for me in trying to minister to people is trying to pull them to an awareness that God needs to drive their life. And if they would let him drive their life and and follow his leadership and his principles, their life would work. And sometimes I get frustrated when they come back again and again and go, my marriage isn't working or this isn't working. I'm like, have you done this yet? Well, I'm thinking about it. You know, I don't say this to him, but you know what I want to say? Don't come back to me until you do this. I can't help you if you're not going to follow the leader, the only one who's worthy to lead our lives. So God is a source of life, and in him we live and move and have our being. And listen to me, you guys. You will never become who God created you to be. And you will never accomplish the great works that he has for you in your future. If you don't make this transition of putting God at the center of your life, you'll never reach the potential that God has put into your life. I mean, I heard a guy recently say the two greatest days of his life were the day he was born. Good day, right? That's when it all happened, the day he was born. And the second greatest day was the day he realized why he was born. Why God put him here. You'll never get that figured out if you don't look to God at the epicenter of your life as the source and the giver and the leader of life. Now, one time Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you know what? He wasn't kidding. Think about it. He was not kidding. If you decide to drive your own life apart from him, it will not work. You see, God... When he created life, he put within the structure of life, the DNA of life, the structure that we should live by. He's the leader, we're the followers. You can fight that your whole life. But if you don't come to the point where you surrender and let him be at the epicenter of your life, then your life will never work. You know what, you guys? There are lots of Christ followers who love God, who want Him to be a part of their life, but they never make the transition of putting Him at the center of their life. You know why? Because they're chicken. They're afraid. They get kind of concerned about, oh my gosh, what is going to happen to my life if I let God lead it? It's like a little kid, a two-year-old, who's at the side of the pool, and their dad's in the water, and says to this little two-year-old girl, jump, honey, jump. The water is great. You'll love it. And now that little kid is standing there at the edge of the pool and what's going to determine whether she jumps or not is whether she says no to fear and says yes to trusting her father and jumps in. And what she decides will totally affect the future of her life because she can't stand there forever. She's either got to jump or she's got to chicken out and move away. If she jumps, think of what's going to happen to her. She's going to find out, oh my gosh, it wasn't as deep as it looked. And my dad can be trusted. You know, I don't think when, when she jumps, her dad's going to go, oh, April fools, how you doing down there? Okay. <laughs> but if she never jumps into his arms, she'll never know that what he said is true. I will catch you. Okay? So if, if she does jump, then fear gets put in its place, and she grows and flourishes. If she doesn't, then fear will have one another battle in her life. And it's the same, it's the same with this, this whole thing that I'm trying to talk to you about today. The fear factor plays into this. God says to us all the time, jump. Come on, jump. The water's all right. I'll catch you. I'll provide for you. It, it, it's going to stretch you, and you're going to grow this whole experience where I want you to go, but it'll be all right. After all, I am God. Okay, I can handle this one. And so, you know, I've been there several times. I know many of you have, like, oh, should I do this or not? Should I really trust him and put him at the center of my life? Fear is such a huge, huge deal in our walk with God. Um, you know what the most common command in all of Scripture is? What would it be? Huh? It's okay to talk out loud in here, right? What would somebody say? What do you think the the most common command in all of scripture is what? Love God? That's a good one, but that's not that's not it. Trust in the Lord? That's a good one. Fear not. Fear not. Right there? Would you stand up and I'm just kidding. In the green right here? She said it. fear not. That's it. Get this. There are 366 366 fear not verses in the Bible. And when you you do the math on that, that is one for every day of the year, including leap year. Isn't that cool? I thought that was really cool. Maybe more than you guys did. But I just thought God in his vast wisdom knows that fear is such a huge deal in us allowing him leadership in our life that he gives us so many fear commands, fear not commands in scripture, that we could tap into one every single day if we needed to. Now, why is fear not the most common deal? Because I've said it. It causes us to keep God as a part of our life and not at the center of our life. Think about your life right now. I came all the way from Kokomo to ask you this question. And here it is How much of God do you want in your life? Really? How much do you want in your life? I know at a, at a place like this, you're supposed to say, I want them all. I want all of him that I can get, okay? But it, but if we like put a video crew on your life and followed you around for the next week or so, what would your life, the way you live, say as an answer to that question? How much of God do you really want in your life? Do you want him to be a part of your life, or do you want him to be all? Do you want him to be, you know, five dollars worth, ten, a hundred? do you want all of God that you can get? Do you want to say to God, God, be all in every part of my life? What part of your life are you holding back from God? We do this all the time. Sometimes we don't even consciously know we're doing it, but we hold back from Him. What part of your life? Maybe, um, can I meddle a little bit today? Pry a little bit? I'll do it anyways, alright? Let's take your relationships. You guys are at a time in life where relationships are really important to you. And let's say some of you are are in a uh, dating relationship right now. And maybe you're not putting God here because you know if you'll put him here, he's going to go into that whole deal right there. And when he goes into that, you know what he's going to say? Maybe to some of you, he's going to say what you already know. The person that you're seeing right now, they're not the best for you. They're a nice person and all that. But they're not God's best for you. And if you kind of want to peel that back a little bit, um, probably in a room this size, it's not unlikely that some people are in relationships where you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. I'll just let that set right there. And so... You, you have a guy like me talk to you about this and you go, oh man, I can't do that because if I, if I invite God into this part of my life right now, he's going to tell me to move on, to break up, to get out of this thing. And if I get out of it, then what, what am I going to do? And you wrestle with this whole idea of should you trust God in this or through fear and the idea of loneliness, you just get stuck in this thing. I've seen this happen in my church with people more often than I want to see. I've, I've even seen people marry people who are not right for them, but they do it because they're so lonely. They just cannot stand the thought of living by themselves. So they'll, they'll marry the wrong person, and then you know what happens? The marriage doesn't work out, and they're lonelier now than they were when they were single. It's a weird, dysfunctional deal that happens in their lives. But they just, they didn't have the guts to say, God, I want you to lead this, and whatever you want is what I want in my life. Or maybe, um, maybe like there's a secret sin area in your life that only you know about. And uh, you'd be embarrassed by it if anybody else knew about it. You're ashamed of it. But the deal is so enticing to you that you just get drawn back to it. And sometimes in the, in the deep, dark recesses of your heart, you like that place. And you know if you put God here, oh, he would just like attack that whole deal and drive that stuff out of your life and replace it with his goodness and his purity and all that. But you struggle with that thing right now. What, what is holding you back from God?